0: Happy New Year, everybody. It is the 5th of January. It's super late here in Seoul. Uh, normally, I record this podcast inside my apartment with the equipment that I have. But right now, I am happy to say that we are in a new studio space that we're going to be using for future video episodes of the podcast. Uh, this podcast was recorded early in November or sorry, late in November last year. But uh, from here on out, we're going to have plenty more video podcasts in the future. This doesn't mean we won't have some audio podcasts, just depending on the circumstances. Like if I'm overseas, it depends on how much equipment I can bring with me. But we will have a base here in Seoul. So thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. It is really appreciated. We did unlock that goal. So I'm really excited with the new year to go to this next step uh, for the show. The video production and editing is going to cost a little bit more. So if you love the show and want to keep supporting it, uh, even 5 bucks goes a really long way, so please support us at patreon.com forward slash tastelesspodcast. With Patreon support, you get access to our exclusive content, such as our after show, which is actually fucking awesome. I'm really happy with this addition to the show, uh, and much more. Uh, so, this episode stars Katamari. Uh, he is the event director for the East Coast Throwdown, as well as the senior director of esports at Intersport. Uh, He's involved in a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes business stuff with the FGC and also the league operator for Mortal Kombat 11 Pro Competition. Uh, I had a great conversation with Katamari. I had not actually met this guy before. I got my connection to him through some of the people I know in the FGC out here in Seoul. Uh, He was out here on holiday, so it was really cool for him to come in and sit down and chat with me. Uh, We talk about a lot of interesting stuff. We also tried something a little bit different this time around. Uh, Usually I end up picking up the podcast guests, maybe at the train station or I go to where their hotel is and then I bring them to my apartment. And I've noticed that a lot of times the really good parts of our conversation are right at the start, you know, kind of the icebreakers. And I realized I'm missing a lot of... uh, This is like a lot of stuff I'd like to just put into the podcast, but I can't record it while I'm on the way down to my house. So I had somebody else pick up Katamari and then we brought him into my house. I met him right there. We sat down in front of the mics and we just started talking. Um, I'm not sure where we're going to jump in exactly uh, as of when this recording is made, but it's going to be right somewhere in the start. So um, we're just sitting down. We're talking about arcades and some rhythm game stuff, and then we go into some other stuff. So we're still kind of experimenting here on different ways to make the show and the conversation better. Anyways, uh, here is our last recording of the year. 20. What is it, 2019? Yeah, we're in 2020. Shit, this is the last recording of 2019, Enjoy the Tastes podcast with our guest, Katamari. Oh, so wait, which rhythm games did you play? Did you do Beat Mania? Uh,
1: 2DX was way too hard, man. (laughs) Dude,
0: I was so into 2DX, man.
1: Way too hard. Uh, No, mostly like... I just got to shut this for the the sound here. DDR, pump. Okay, yeah. And then like in the groove is actually where I got like actually good at a game, like a rhythm game for the first time and like travel Which game was this? So do you you remember? It's like towards... uh, What was it? I'll we'll say like circa two thousand six is when it started coming becoming a thing. Uh, so this is a
0: Japanese rhythm game, right?
1: No, 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 no. It was actually American made.
0: So okay, there I think was, I've heard of this. Yeah,
1: there was DDR, and then DDR kind of like tapered off. There wasn't like new versions at all. And right. then um, one of like an arcade, like have you ever heard of Eight on the Break? It's like super old school. No, arcade. still I around. One of the only like true arcades still around in the US. Okay. Okay. Uh, the owner of that kind of like subsidized a new project. Uh, with the cat, your cat's so cute. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Um subsidized a project uh with uh was company called Roxer? And then they actually ended up using Andamiro here, like the kit company that makes the pump it up cabinets to oh, really? build like the actual arcade cabinets. So they made it was basically the same thing, like four-panel, like DDR. Um and it was just way harder. Like it just it broke like the mold of like what people thought was like humanly possible. Was, was that a do? rhythm
0: game with just like you use buttons on your hands? Or no, was it was it... the
1: same DDR template, Exactly oh, okay, okay. four okay. panel, like four down panel. left, okay, right. Got it. All right, yeah. I, it's cr- it just like broke the bounds of what anyone thought at the time was possible. Like the game, yeah. came, the game came out, and we we're seeing like all these like expert level charts for like, no, this is a joke, right? Like yeah. no one, no one can do this. Like no way. Yeah. <laughs> Sure enough, like within a year, it just became like standard. They made a second version and then got hit and lost the lawsuit to Konami. Oh, really? Copy, yeah. Copyright. And then like this, the, the crazy thing is like the saving grace. And this is so funny because uh, you've heard of like Stepmania, right? Yes, just, I yeah. have. Yeah. So basically they turned like their game into Stepmania and just like put out a patch that made it open source from a thumb drive. So it's oh, like, really? you can bring in like your own m- music with like Stepmania based charts into it and like just go crazy so it just like was open source like arcade level like step mania
0: there was um what, what was the beat mania version of that where you could use your your keyboard do you know what i'm talking about yeah do, there, there was um o2 jam i, th- I think that, that might was korean what it was too called. right i think so my it brother looked similar yeah my brother and me grew up playing beat mania on the arcade and then um playing some fighting games on the side but uh i remember uh my dad lives in hong kong but when we were kids we were visiting him um for a family trip and so we went to this hong kong arcade and that's the first time i saw somebody playing 2dx but like both hands um how do i say this uh you know seven buttons on one hand seven buttons on the other hand and and each turntable and my mind was like it was one of those moments where i thought i can't fucking comprehend that anybody can be this good yeah at at a rhythm game it's insane
1: it's it's that that, and then like what else was like around the same era like popping music
0: Right, that's the one with the bubbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which right. at the
1: time, like when I saw it, I'm like, oh, this has got to be the easier one. And then I realized, like, after you get into it a little bit, like, no, that's not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not I, I used case. to hurt
0: my hands when I try to play that game because yeah. I'd start hitting the buttons too hard and end up with bruises yeah, on my palms. Yeah. That's
1: why people, like, a lot of people, when they play it, they wear, like, gloves like, so they, like, game like slide it. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there, dude, there's so many rhythm games now, too. Like, the last like trip I took, like, Tokyo, just, like, stepping in, like, some of, like, the rhythm game sections.
0: Yeah. Like, it seems like it's dude, a specifically a Japanese trend though right
1: I guess I don't know I don't, I don't see
0: it as much in other countries including arcades out here there's like maybe one or two cabinets yeah, like in pump
1: is like the big thing here still, yeah and like that's about it um but no we actually because in the U.S. they they've uh they broke out the round one franchise for U.S. locations so they have like all the exclusive like import deals um with a lot of the arcade manufacturers from japan so there's they're getting all like the obscure rhythm games coming in and then on top of that like because they all have them networked in japan to like digital like leaderboard system um they're actually like made some weird ip exceptions to like round one u.s locations to participate in like global leaderboards which is like why konami now like god konami is like when it comes to they're like global initiatives. It's such a mess. But it seems they uh, like it. Yeah. But they're like their DDR World Championships and stuff. They have uh uh it's it's actually inclusive of like other regions besides Japan now. Like, I, t- actually, I, I
0: actually had no idea they even had that. There, yeah. There's a DDR World Championship.
1: Yeah, it's like part of a larger like arcade expo that they do. Okay. But yeah, it's uh it's all part of uh like you actually qualify in through like regional like ranking points, like score points and stuff like that based off of qualifying songs that like are all tied to your online profile now. So it's like, you have to go to like a round one arcade in oh, okay. America to like participate in that.
0: So this is your first time here in Korea, right? Yeah. Uh, where are you going after this?
1: Home. <laughs> okay. uh, so home for me is right now, I, it's technically northern New Jersey. Okay. Um, so it's like 20 minutes outside of Manhattan. So actually like if you're familiar with american football so right next to giant like the giant stadium at life stadium okay uh so right there super close
0: and and, and when's the next tournament you're going to be working at
1: uh actually i have a good throughout the rest of the year i'm pretty off uh i'll probably take a swing by to uh capcom cup so that's in like two two weeks from now two weekends something like that over uh in la so okay so you're
0: like an off season it's the same thing for me i have one more day of work tomorrow and then that's it
1: Well, quote-unquote off-season. Technically, uh, so this coming weekend is the last stop uh, for the Mortal Kombat Pro Competition uh, over at NEC in Philadelphia region. So that'll solidify for uh, the final spots, essentially, for um, the final combat event in March. So whittle that down to our top 15. Get our show.
0: Yeah, and are are you a big Mortal Kombat fan? Because uh, I feel like Mortal Kombat for me personally, I think this is one of the best versions of the game ever. It is. It's well, incredible. It depends on who you ask, right? Or like
1: what you like in your games. I think from a competitive side, especially if you look for kind of prominent players, it's it has been the most balanced. Another Realm Studios game, I think, fighting game like ever created. Um, that goes with the caveat that if you know you were more adept to kind of Mortal Kombat Nine, Mortal Kombat X. Just kind of like the variation from like mix-up options, combo extensions, and routes were way more flashy and impactful, uh, but just definitely not balanced (laughs) games by any means. Right, right. So definitely a lot more stress involved. Um, I mean, Mortal Kombat 11 has its own layers of stress with Fatal Blow system and all of that, but... um, the competitive scene seems to gravitate heavy towards it, and the balancing, like the patch patch by patch balancing, has like historically been really drastic in NRS games, where it's you it was see huge tier list swings. It's been way more deliberate with Mortal Kombat 11, and it feels a lot more like rational to get to a better like level playing field.
0: Do you find um, this is something I've, I've been wondering? Because like Mortal Kombat 11 in Korea, you actually can't get legally yeah same with japan too right um and in a lot of countries uh because of the extreme violence Mm -hmm. um and i was curious about this because you know esports is getting so global and different games are encountering different problems right like counter-strike um and this is something i meant to ask moses on our last episode but i forgot to but counter-strike has this problem where you know it's terrorists versus Mm counter-terrorists which uh, at the time, nobody seemed to mind, but the, <laughs> nowadays it's sort of distasteful, um, at least for major sponsors, right? Like the Olympics is looking at uh, getting certain esports titles, and it just looks like there's no fucking way yeah. they could ever have Counter Strike just, just I- in a naming super- convention alone, yeah. Right, yeah. We just can't have terrorists and counter terrorists, and <laughs> that's a that type of role play. Yeah. Um, where other games seem like they've been okay. I, I Capcom has some deal going on with the Olympics now for Street Fighter. Yep. Intel. Uh huh. Yeah, and um, I I wonder because uh, although you know Mortal Kombat doesn't is couldn't upset people in the same way as a Counter Terrorist Terror situation. The, the violence is so extreme. Does that interfere with with it as a game being able to grow and expand?
1: I think it's a weird balance, too, right? Because if you look at it from just, like, removing, like, Smash from the equation, right? Sure, yeah. That, like, that, that's its own Smash unique Smash always piece. has
0: to be a, over there. Yeah, but
1: like, from just, like, a pure, you know, ultimately as, like, game developers, right, it's... Unit sales are kind of king in a lot of ways. And right. Mortal Kombat, from a unit sales perspective, compared to other fighting games in that space, is truly at the top of the throne um a lot of it's just you you know the experience like you've played Mortal Kombat 11 have you played like 9 and X as well I didn't
0: play 9 or X I played a lot of the old Mortal Kombat's when I was growing up in arcades like um but I did get 11 when it came out and I loved that they kind of stayed true to the the gore yeah yeah. I mean in, in a weird way like you can't have Mortal Kombat and not have the extreme violence and I mean, that game was revolutionary at the time when we were all young. That was the first game that basically pushed rating systems into games. <laughs> yeah.
1: You Almost know. still is when you see, like, the innovation and all the fatalities and everything. Yeah. They, they keep developing in. I'm like, dude, how did they They keep... Like, you'd think they keep running out of ideas, like, eventually. Right. It's just like, no, <laughs> no. ways to kill somebody. Yeah, and exactly. Like the... it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. Um, but, it, you know, just from, like, the actual, like, what that product is as like in a standalone game forget the competitive aspect of it is so strong just like the single-player campaigns that you go through it's it's like truly like a cinematic universe at this point right yeah and just like the attachment that you develop for the characters throughout those stories is like bar none kind of the leader within
0: fighting games they they changed the story for mortal Kombat entirely when it switched publishers right like they had this whole time travel Thing. it's so confu- it's, it's, it's so, so confusing. fucking I, I was watching this youtube video um because basically i got uh right when mortal kombat 11 came out i bought it and then i realized i was in the middle of a story uh, when it starts up so i thought okay let's go back and then i realized oh fuck this is insane <laughs> they made like 10 games uh and it got so convoluted they had they, they made this like time travel snafu that now we've gone back to the beginning or I think where Mortal Kombat 2 ended, and then we're going to resume from there in a different timeline.
1: Yeah, and well, now it's even really confusing now with, like, Eleven. They brought in, like, Chronica, and there's all this, like, time trial, like, different, like, right. timelines that you, they're going bouncing back and forth in between, so it's 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 all over the place and a little hard to comprehend. Actually, if you want to make things simple for yourself, anyone that's just, like, is super curious to just general, like, MK lore, and more importantly, I guess, like, the history of competitive MK, so have you heard there, uh, of ketchup and mustard at all no so they're from the uk and they also do a lot of work with like uh, quake and doom and stuff like that um but they really got their stride with like their mk like super fans and commentators they're twins actually um but they've done like an incredible incredible especially like uh, ketchup has put this unbelievable series together of just like this chronicle of mk like history lore and even more deep into the like ground on that the Competitive aspect of like every MK starting with like MK1. So, if you want to see like where like the crazy original like arcade, like janky, like <laughs> competitive yeah. meta comes from, that no, like I swear, most people just had no idea it even existed. It's all like documented through his kind of like memoirs of
0: like, oh, that's cool. I should check that out because, um, you know, Smash was always obtuse until that uh Smash Brothers documentary came out, yeah, and, and kind of put that into the mainstream. Uh, but it seems like now Mortal Kombat uh, 11. I guess I should say the Mortal Kombat franchise in general. It seems like it's more in line or in step with the other major FGCs or admitted fighting games. Um do, do you of. feel that's the case?
1: Uh you know, it almost like in a way, since we see you kind of look at Smash Community as its own lane. Right. Nether Realm players historically, so like Nether Realm meaning, you know, in Injustice series, Mortal Kombat series, um, there is crossover, but a lot of those prominent and like dominant players in those Nether Realm titles are fairly exclusive like they'll dabble and play in other games i mean sonic fox being like one of the big exceptions right like like, if he if he's serious about a game he'll
0: (laughs) he's fucking so good It's crazy.
1: watch out like if he's serious and invest time it's 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 terrifying um but you look at like the competitive landscape and you look at a lot of those names that you'll see like in finishing like and qualifying for final combat or even in just like the top 32 of any major tournament on the pro competition. A lot of those names like dwell and exist specifically within NetherRealm games. Um and I think a lot of that also has to do with kind of the accessibility of Mortal Kombat. I don't mean like necessarily ease of like player acquisition into like how to play the game competitively. Um but more so just like you hear the number one complaint for fighting game players is like terrible online experience in that code especially in the west right yeah, like yeah. totally different here like I I understand now and speaking with kind of the local like Korean community or at least um the guys that are running a lot of the local events here that's such a challenge to overcome getting people to come out to offline or physical events yeah. because the online is so the the, the online, online experience play, is so smooth
0: yeah you can absolutely just stay at home yeah and, we, and we don't have that like, in, in tekken the online play it's incredible it's been incredible for a long time too I don't know um I know that overall the internet here is very fast but um I haven't played any fighting games in the states online. I mean is is it that pronounced in oh, your yeah. experience?
1: Oh yeah. I mean you're looking at the same netcode but you take Tekken 7 online back home to, yeah. to the US. It's not like it's unplayable but you're trying to play from, you know, like New York to California. N- no. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that's
0: just an advantage for here because everything is so close together with the high-speed internet. Like Korea's not physically a very big country
1: no yeah i mean that that helps too but also just like the stability and speeds because like i can't i'm I'm right outside of a major you know one of the most major cities and markets in the u.s and i can't get like a fiber connection in my apartment yeah like i'm still running off of like a comcast connection with like maybe like 10 up on a good day so is
0: is that is that purely just an internet connection issue not not a coding issue inside the game both it's okay. definitely
1: both. And I think that's the exception is where I was going is that Mortal Kombat, they've kind of implemented their own system um, based off of like a rollback net code, I believe. Uh, not 100% sure on that. But it's allowed for an online experience with our connections and speeds that has allowed cross-country play and even cross-region play. Like, there are training partners that are playing between, you know, London and Florida. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, right now. Um, and it's, it's totally smooth. You're talking maybe like two to three frame delay, which is... Like that's incredible. That's totally playable and viable for online fighting gameplay. Like probably like the upper limits of it, but it, it works. So because of that, it's definitely opened the gate for a lot of players and speaking with a lot of like upper echelon players in Nether Elm games is, is you've heard like I've heard them kind of chronicle like their journey getting into the competitive scene. It's like purely born off of online. Yeah. And it's just because that's because it's, it's accessible. Like they never had to invest like a significant amount of like capital to travel to an event or like do their research or homework. They were kind of thrown into it and almost forced into the spotlight just based off of, you know, them running and playing with, you know, community based top players and being recognized for that. So, you know, you'll see a huge name that's just started coming out to physical events this year. uh Sky Ninja killer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's, this is his first year really like going to offline events and he's, you know, he's already taken a pro competition event this year. He's consistently getting in top threes when he shows up to events. Like, he's incredible and talented, and he's really discovered online, which it, doesn't really happen in other fighting yeah, I guess, as much. Anyways. But
0: until you get good online play, it, it's almost like the luck of the draw is, like, to where you were born <laughs> or yeah. what neighborhood you grew up in. Was there an arcade <laughs> close to you? Uh, there was a similar situation, actually, for StarCraft, which was that, um, you know, all the Korean pros, they didn't play online they would play on LAN, or they or they play on LAN in PC cafes. Yeah. And um, back then for StarCraft 1, if you weren't playing on LAN, it was like a different game. So people who would play online like me back in the States, it's like, I, I can't even move at the same rate as, <laughs> as what these guys are doing. And um, that was a huge problem with people trying to improve. And it really didn't get improved until maybe right before StarCraft uh, 2 came out. But it was about a decade in there of just... I mean, you would see a a non-Korean go and compete against a Korean at an actual land event, and these guys would just outmaneuver them uh, entirely. Um, But that's exciting now to see that here with the online play uh, for Mortal Kombat 11, it's actually doable. And it it seems like it's finally happening in fighting games where you can actually be somebody as a solo unit and, and actually get good and not necessarily have to be around people. But then again, I guess that does kind of affect the community element as well.
1: Yeah, it, it, yeah, and that's one of the catch-22s, honestly, is that when you see one of the biggest like Twitter hot topics right now, the community side is asking for what's like considered rollback netcode, if you've heard like the term like, GGPO being thrown around. So it's like a patented type of like netcode. Um, what does
0: GGPO stand for? I'm actually not familiar with that.
1: <laughs> so uh, it's actually the founders of Evo, the Canon Brothers, that's yeah. actually something they had developed for, I forget which... Online platform it was at the time um, for, for like ROM-based fighting games, so like Third Strike and Super Turbo and stuff like that. Um, and it, apparently, it's uh, open for def- developer use, like kind of like royalty-free. I think I oh, think really? they relinquished like the licensing to like some department over at MIT recently. Um, so it's been like this huge push from the community side to have publishers like from the get go kind of look to develop their game's net codes based around this form of rollback net code, which, like I said, is I, I believe is kind of what Mortal Kombat built theirs off of, uh, like their own variation or original version of it. Um, and it's it's that's one of the things, but I think the the flip side of that is if that does happen and it is widely adopted and we are able to have kind of like cross country or even like cross continent play like viable competitive play the impact and ripple effect that that has on a community level is pretty drastic as seen here as you have so much tech and talent here and they're not necessarily it doesn't seem like they're coming necessarily to local events whether it's like weekly or monthly necessarily and that also affects kind of like the average at least my theory is that it would affect like the average player skill level to it because if you think about information sharing right and like steps to improvement i think it's one of the biggest criticisms of fighting games this is it's not necessarily baked in or articulated within the games themselves sure how to improve like you know what aspects seems of, like you have
0: to go on youtube or, or go to a forum somewhere and yeah. then you have to learn the inputs which uh, if you don't play fighting games is is totally unnatural
1: yeah 100 um, percent. yeah um but i also like that only can take you i mean Some people are very adept to being able to, you know, process and digest information that way. But, like, when I learned fighting games for the first time, like, I had a person next to me providing me, like, real-time feedback.
0: This is the same for me. I had someone in an arcade showing me, like, no, this is how you fireball. Not like you're holding the joystick wrong, you know, or, or use this finger on this button, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and even just, like, you know, from, like, a mental element, too, or, like, the psychology of it, too, is just understanding, like, why players make certain actions in specific situations and trying to, like, digest that whole <laughs> aspect of fighting games is, like, in isolation is very few people can accomplish that, yeah. you know? And being able to actually openly discuss and share kind of that wealth of, that knowledge bank, that, like, kind of community knowledge, collective knowledge is super was super important i still i think still is super important uh which is why especially when you look at like major like fighting game major events and there's like a gathering of so many different like regions and pockets you know you could be in a major city and you'd think that everyone wants to go and explore and have a good time yeah. and like you know Go eat and drink together, and a half of like, especially anyone that's remotely serious about the game, they'll just look for okay, whose room is open? Is this venue twenty four <laughs> yeah. hours. Like, how do we like this get together? Every, every yeah.
0: game, there's like two types of, of gamers when you go to tournament: the people that actually want to go experience <laughs> the city, <laughs> and then the the people that are probably going to win the tournament because they're in their hotel room or they're just grinding uh, out games. That's so funny. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's just like sharing knowledge. It's like it's like oh, like I don't have like a player that plays this character that well in my scene? Like, let me try to get some games with them. Like I try to get into like the experience and like understanding of like how to play this matchup, like how, like maybe like, Oh, this region is a different play style than us. Like, why, how do I get experience and exposure to this? Um, So I, I, like, I think that is like, I I guess it's too early to tell until it's like a, a reality of just how much kind of like a sufficient net code would affect the average, like, skill average skill levels or just like general like community health <laughs> yeah so
0: I, um when i was interviewing spag um one of the things i was most excited to, to ask him about and this has just been kind of a cool phenomenon in general in techin is uh the, the discovery of a, at least for um most people this massive pakistani scene yeah that was apparently just there and growing and was basically quiet the whole time as far as global presence goes um is there anything like that happening in Mortal Kombat Eleven, um, or is there any scenes to to watch for, or areas of the world where people are actually uh, really good?
1: Yeah, and I, I'd say it's I, we've just started seeing a glimpse of it, and I'm not necessarily saying that they're better than some of like a lot of the top U.S. talent by any means, uh, but I think that it's the opportunity certainly there for in the near future to become this kind of like revolutionary moment in their own games, uh, but the player base and the fan, even more so the f- general fan base for Mortal Kombat in South America specifically Brazil is on like a different plane of reality. So we actually brought um for the Mortal Kombat Pro Competition, one of the nine events on like on that tour uh was a Brazil Game Show this year. And I think Brazil Game Show is like second or third largest game show in the world. Like it's massive. It's within the old like Olympic Park. Um the amount of participation from just, like, local Brazilians was unreal. And guys that we've never seen, we, we knew of them, but never necessarily saw them play with international competitors, was, like, a huge shock. Like, a couple guys uh, from the U.S., like Forever King, or uh, some of those names that you see them, like, very comfortable seeing them in, like, top 32, top 16 positions, like, routinely, amongst, like, probably the most dominant player field out there. Couldn't break top eight positions like over there, really? Yeah, and it was you know, I the true like top of the top talent there. I'm not sure it goes necessarily toe to toe yet with a Sonic Fox or a Ninja Killer or Dragon or anybody over in the states, but like the promise is there, right? It's like there's like a hunger, there's like a strong community presence, and the fandom is on a different level. Like the amount of like Mortal Kombat cosplay we saw there, just from the general fans, and just their turn out to watch finals like i'm sure you've seen like you know for major events you look in the crowd for any finals that's not evo combo breaker or like ceo and it's uh, it's okay you know maybe like 50 to 100 people watching right
0: which is awesome it can be endearing too it's like oh sick look at this number of people that kind of came and gathered together but it's not on a major scope at times
1: right this was like somewhere between 500 and a thousand just general mk fans not even like competitive players like showing up at brazil game show and sat down and watched the full top 16 with like energy throughout the entirety of that show (laughs) that's
0: so crazy it seems like there's especially within fighting games in the next five years i think we're going to see a lot of different regions of the world pop up that people just weren't thinking about yeah like even um one of the most recent Tekken tournaments in the Philippines. I mean, the audience was just fucking massive. Yeah. Right, red right Major, right? Yes, yeah, yes. It was just huge. Um, and I mean, as, as somebody who lives in Seoul, I kind of always think of Tekken as kind of just a Korean thing yeah. on some level, but it, not the case at all. There's actually just, it's so much bigger, and there's so many other places that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be, I guess, it wouldn't be your first thought that this is a competitive gaming region of the world
1: yeah it, no absolutely and i think it's also like Tekken's an interesting point especially for this kind of like generation of fighting games right is if you look at it right now tekken 7 might be considered kind of like the community champion so to speak yeah. from just like a participation and like in a player investment level it's and i think a lot of that is in due part to a lot of the interesting storylines that like the game has created organically is why people have yeah. rallied behind it so much and also it's you know it's, good. it's a good game. <laughs> um, but I, I think now that there's just, like, so much general global interest for it and all these really exciting moments, like it compels a lot of people, even that have been long-time players of other fighting games to really want to dive into it.
0: What is publisher support like for Mortal Kombat 11 on an eSports level? I mean, is this... Obviously, um, it's continuing to grow, and, and that's really exciting, but, you know, sometimes you have companies where they will put out an eSports like budget Mm -hmm. because other companies are doing that, you know, where they're like, well, if if these other games are doing it, we might as well have our own. I mean, uh, how ambitious do you find them to be in this regard to their esports?
1: I mean, I think it's, it's comparable to what you're seeing out of Capcom pro tour, Tekken world tour. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's definitely, there's more and more consideration on that side of the house for kind of like longevity of like how do you support, and i think that's also like reflected as well right is like how how they're actually like treating like the balance of the game moving forward too it's like understandably so it's like you look at the sales volume of mortal kombat 11 it's like yeah that's a more general consumer friendly game but at least and the community like the competitive community makes up such a small fraction of what that like true user base is but there's you know being a heck of a lot more consideration around what is kind of best for that community, like competitive community? Um, definitely a lot more interest in how to sustain that year over year, as opposed to just kind of like like you said, one off, one off program programs and platforms. Yeah, where
0: they just get this budget and they're going to spend it, and <laughs> they might not have any goal for the next year or any way to build it. Um, so I have to. There's always two fighting games, or I guess I should say two publishers. I have to talk about whenever I bring anybody. Uh, from the FGC on. And the first <laughs> one hasn't released their game yet, but we all know that Riot is making a fighting game. Oh, yes. Um, you know, League of Legends is basically the biggest game in the world, mm-hmm. according to most metrics. Um, they seem to have run the most sustainable um, eSports tournament model. Uh, their game is actually older than StarCraft Two. I think their game is... It has to be like, what, 10 and a half years old? Because that, that, the announcement of all their games was the 10-year anniversary, right? Um, and they've been working on a fighter for some time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty obvious to everybody that they're going to try to do this some very similar model to what they have with League of Legends with that. Um, wh- first, what is your take on Riot walking into the uh, fighting game space?
1: Well, I, I mean, for starters, it's not unwarranted considering that team that they have i mean you're looking at the brought the canon brothers in right yeah (laughs) um so at least just from like a fundamental level it's like there is like complete like i want to say pure like not perfectly pure intent but like well intent right to like kind of like respect like the genre um so that's i mean at least a net positive out the gate um but it'll be interesting to see like i mean this is all theory right like we don't know until it right. comes out um, but just kind of what it does on a community level is probably the most important question because we've seen like all sorts of ter- like takes across the board from like community members from like oh if you know there's a franchise league, and we have to be exclusive to this game, and we're you know guaranteed this prize pool. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm all about it. Let's dive into it. And other people that are just like you know, it's like we like fighting games because of the variety, right? Like, yeah. I, if I'm playing, if I'm primarily a Street Fighter player, that's great, but like I like playing other games too. Like, there's a, an enjoyment in that variety.
0: <laughs> what, what, what are the rules with that? Do you mind looking this up, Ryan? Riot? Riot's rules on exclusivity with games. Are they not, is it pro gamers are not allowed to stream other games or they're not allowed to compete? Dude, I've, I'm actually not sure. I know that there's something there, but I've never actually.
1: It's not, like, I don't think, like, necessarily these viewpoints from like a community side aren't based necessarily in any like fact or reality. Right. It's just kind of like all, all speculation. (laughs) All speculation. Right. Um, But I mean, the way I see like, and this is just my opinion of it, I could easily see a world in which, you know, this title comes out and has its wild, Riot levels of success, um, but kind of paves its own path from a community perspective, much in kind of akin to the Smash community, right? Where it kind of exists, like, they are parallel to each other, and there's a lot of similarities and overlap, but it kind of almost exists within its own ecosystem, so to speak, and community base. So... That's how I think it'll play out, but it's way too... I mean, we saw, like, what? 10 seconds of, like, over-the-shoulder, like... A
0: a throw or something happening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: So we we have no idea, like, what it's going to play like, kind of the accessibility for the game itself, any kind of, like, plan for whether it's, like, grassroots or just, like, publisher-official event support. Like, what? No idea, man. Just wait and see.
0: (laughs) Yeah. One of the things... Well, if you look at each of these publishers, whenever they have a game that's in the same kind of genre, Mm -hmm. they almost have to play off of each other. Like I think a lot of what happens between Namco and Capcom is because someone did this over here, the other side has to do this. We'll see this with like League of Legends and and what happens with Dota, whatever Valve Mm -hmm. chooses to do with that. Um, I'm curious because Riot has so much money and so much already pre-built infrastructure, uh, they're probably going to move in Again, this is speculation, I don't know, but they're probably going to move in on such a dramatic level. Do you think that's going to impact or change the way that um, you know the current major fighting game publishers are going to operate? Are they going to have to step up their game? Or, or You were saying it might just be its own thing, but is there any chance of this maybe forcing, let's say, Capcom to up their ante?
1: Oh, dude. <laughs> Who knows, especially because you're talking about Japanese publishers, right? And just like
0: that's a whole other conversation, yeah, you should if, have here as well. But.
1: yeah, like like fundamentally, fundamentally speaking, like I don't even know how they would change their approach to developing like their games based off of what the riot has done and like kind of that Western. So, for, for <laughs> people game.
0: listening, you know, one one of the things about Japanese publishers, first of all, Japan always has a certain way of doing something. Yeah, and, and it's not. And,
1: by the way, that's not an insult at all. Right. It's just like it's, I, I think to a lot of extent, like that was a lot of the allure. Growing yes, up and like yeah. gravitating towards, towards Japanese
0: games or yeah. Japanese storytelling or 100%. Japanese culture, yeah. There's the, but the, it, it, there's there's a way to do things, and especially in some of these Japanese com- companies, from what I've been told, um, you know, seniority is so important. But you end up with some of these people that have run the company for almost their entire lives and are super old now, and are uh, at times not that in tune with uh, esports or with competitive gaming or maybe some of the newer trends.
1: Yeah, I, I mean and actually you can actually probably start seeing that perception uh, altering kind of the way that they are developing their games like if you yeah. look at like street fighter 5 even the upcoming guilty gear next year right is like so many interviews it was like there was such a with a lot of the developers themselves like such a, a uh, perspective and like lens that they tried to apply to the game as far as looking at like simplicity is in kind of like that is important for like a Western based market for accessibility. Right. Um, That's always
0: been a, a theme in, in Japanese, whenever they make a game for the Western market, there's always this consensus, which I don't even think is actually true, but there's always been this consensus that we got to dumb it down for them. They're not going to, they're not going to want it. This happened <laughs> with, um, this happened with a bunch of games. I think they did this with the original Mario. They simplified that. Um But you know, they, they didn't even want... Uh, du- what is it? No, not Dark Souls. Demon Souls wasn't even initially translated into English because they thought, well, it's going to be too difficult. Westerners don't want that. But there's always been this weird theme of of what they perceive the people outside of their country actually want.
1: Definitely. And I think, like, a lot of it, too, is, like, the like, the core fundamentals of, like, what fighting games are is a lot of, like, the decision-making process in that, that one-versus-one scenario. So it was like, okay, well, if, you know, if that is intact and kind of more emphasized by limiting kind of like the execution barrier or whatever it might be, right? Uh, To just be boiled down more to the decision-making, like that is more digestible for people to, you know, play, watch, and understand. Um, However, I mean, like, if you look at it now, we just talked about like Tekken 7 was pretty much chosen as, you know, like the community champion. And yeah, it were like, there was some, like I'm I'm not a Tekken player personally, so it's like, I can't really speak to it as well as tons of others could. Um, But just... There was a very minimal amount of simplifying or simplification that went into Tekken 7. Yeah. Uh, but there's still, it's so in-depth well, they, they also, in depth and
0: complicated. In Tekken 7, they also had um, a training menu that I thought actually you could learn the game in. Like in Tekken 7? Yeah. Like they would show you all the moves. Like if you look at it, Street Fighter 4, mm-hmm. when that came out, and this is sometimes with Japanese games, it's like they've given you an alien artifact and haven't told you anything. <laughs> it's just like a you know a, a triangle with blue circles and they're like there you go um like in Street Fighter 4 they don't even give you in the game all the combos that you can do no. they don't even tell you no. <laughs> it's just there and 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 you can either figure it out on your own or you can go online and and find it and with Tekken 7 and again I'm also not a Tekken expert but from everything I've seen with it every string combo you could think of is in there uh, it, it teaches you very clearly how to move your character in a way that's going to make it efficient inside the game?
1: Sure. But I and I, that's the thing is, I don't necessarily think, you know, because there's other, there's definitely other fighting games, especially like anime fighters uh, that I'm personally really big on that have probably like the most in-depth and well put together tutorial systems out there, but haven't necessarily yielded in like player acquisition in any way, shape or form. So I don't necessarily think that the simplification or tutorial base has necessarily like attributed directly to like the growth of the player base for specific games you know i don't know anyone that said they got into fighting games because that combo looked easy you know right you know um it's like because there was some degree of comprehension of you know the situation whether it was from just kind of like a high stress moment of you know uh, execution or like key decision making that kind of was like that galaxy brain level play that really drew people into it like nobody's picking up the game because it's easy to play. Right. You know, especially like, or at least for like a long-term user, right? Like someone might enjoy it more for the week that they get it after release for yeah, as, whatever as much the as, other experience is. As much is. as
0: developers obsess about accessibility, it does seem like if you're going to really play all the time and and watch, it's you're watching and playing because it's hard. Because that's actually the exciting part of it.
1: There's something to work towards. And like, that's definitely caters to like a specific type of mind or like even almost like to a certain degree like some games be like oh man this person must be like a masochist to grind this out like as hard yeah. as they are um but like it, it definitely appeals to a very specific kind of person especially being like a solo based game and like i'm sure like the only other real comparison is like starcraft right yeah as far as just like truly like you these are, are the one-on-one games yeah you're playing in like an isolation like the amount of stress like and it's something like i actually you know um one of I forgot which video it was that, like Gerald, like Corey Gaming, like did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, f- just kind of like the the mental toll that just playing as an individual in like a high, highly competitive environment, like really, <laughs> like the toll that I can take on you, um, performance-wise, and also just from like a pure like s- psychology and like mental health perspective. Is, yeah, you're not
0: you're not generally communicating with anybody else, and if you are, they're the opponent in a one-on-one game.
1: Yeah, and actually, don't get me wrong. Like a lot of like compa- like even at a high level, like you know, your number one, two, three, and four seats like are constantly training with each other because like sure. there's no other way to get better, really. You know, if, if no one else is sharpening up around you, you're just plateauing. Um, but it's it's certainly, especially like from like a more like casual competitor too, it's, you know, it's almost like that placebo effect where it's like you have the ability to blame everybody else around you. Like whether it's your teammates or other random factors that go into having so many kind of like user inputs from different parties one-on-one, like what's your... What's your excuse? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When
0: when you lost, it's because you were not as good as the other player, or well, you get people that blame their character. Ah, uh, you know, their spamming, spamming, cheap. The, yeah, the patch that came out, or
1: <laughs> yeah, especially like if you ever get a chance to talk to like a lot of like the New York City based players too, and growing yeah. up like way beyond before like my time, like some of like the original, like the true OGs, like like Arturo Sanchez, like Savin, yeah. like all those guys, um, yipes, just like growing. He was up and, so like, good
0: at Marvel, man. He was so fucking good. <laughs>
1: Just like going, but like growing up in like that arcade environment where it's like I think like Arturo had this story where I think it might have been like MK two or something like that or UMK three where he just kept grabbing somebody over and over again and they just like pulled a knife on him, like <laughs> yeah, just it, like that's how Too much
0: disrespect is happening in game.
1: Yeah, I mean, so at least we've hey man, at least we've evolved from that point. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's just super interesting just seeing kind of the barrier to entry from. Other like non-fighting game fans to get into the series, right? Like all yeah. the kind of <laughs> weird obstacles that exist, such as that. It's like the, the inability to accept your own fault is one of the hardest.
0: Yeah, I've I, I've had this conversation like on the podcast and off the podcast, but yeah, it, it, you you can do team games, but for me, I don't get the same high that I get from winning one on one. When I've won, it's just a like self-contained. Person, and it was all me, even yeah. though the losses are more painful and, and, and more frustrating. I, I find I, I, for gaming as a drug, I get a bigger high from that. But I, I, oddly enough, team games are just bigger in general, I think, because people don't want to have to deal with the pressure of one on one games. I guess also team games are social as well.
1: Yeah, that's a huge part of it. um I mean, because like we've all dabbled, right? And like multiplayer sure. games, like, I definitely like, spent my time grinding, like, ranking like, Overwatch. Sure, I mean, like I still play for fun, just like Apex Legends. Like I enjoy it, right? And right. just like there is something like, you know, what we'll, we'll sit there like playing fighting it for like two hours, net play or something like that, and decide, I'm like, oh, you know, it would be fun just to you know play cooperatively with like some friends. Or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's like there's like a nice there's a nice element there's to it. There's a nice
0: social aspect to it.
1: Yeah. Instead of being trapped in my own brain, just like cr- crunching, <laughs> Yeah. Like crunching, crunching. You know, my notes, like my handwritten notes or like phone notes that I wrote of like matchup, like mess ups I've had. Like yeah. For my two hours in net play, just like, my struggling, struggling, not being able to like oh, implement them properly. do you do, you do that if you, if you like, after you've lost
0: a game, you write something down?
1: I try to, and don't get me wrong, like I'll do that for like the first like maybe like four or five games. And then I just get into this weird, like mental spiral where it's, you know, yeah. you'll live the next like hour and a half of your session. Like you just, you're mashed in like the replay, like recheck button. Yeah. It like yeah. goes all, totally goes out the window. And, <laughs> um, well, I mean that also, you know, you talk to like any good player and like, they're definitely spending a lot of time reviewing their matches and stuff. Yeah. Not like their ability to like maintain kind of like that. Regiment and like process definitely helps for sure.
0: So, um, just before we go too far away from the Japanese subject, yes. I, I want, I want <laughs> yeah, to ask we got you. Far. No, no, no. Um, I just want to ask about Smash, about mm-hmm. Melee and Ultimate, and, and what your take is on Nintendo's uh, handling of everything and, and the future of Smash and, and what's going to happen to Melee or if the game's going to be fine. I know that was a lot of different questions I asked you, but if you want to sure. pick from the buffet there.
1: I mean. Granted, it's still on a larger level, but I mean, like, especially when you're talking about the preservation of an older title like Melee, I mean, you just look at the cross-comparisons between what we've had on the FGC side with some of our kind of more historic titles, like Third Strike, Super Turbo. It's like, yeah, they're not necessarily growing scenes, but they're stable and consistent within their own right. And, sure, they're not recognized necessarily as a sport by any means but there's definitely like its own niche and very valuable community aspect that that brings to kind of the rest of fighting game events and that community and culture as a whole and i'm sure a lot of people would be upset with that perspective necessarily that like yeah like i melee is probably not going to grow melee is probably never going to get recognized by nintendo in any official capacity or support not like ultimate necessarily is um but it has its place, man. Like end of the day, like you like your, you love your games, play your game. Like, does it always need to be for, <laughs> for for you know the actual kind of like quote unquote esports of it? Right, you right. Just,
0: you can play the game just out of passion because you love to do it.
1: Yeah, like I'm playing like my like seriously like the fighting game I put the most time into is like I, if you've heard of it. it's full like unist or like, under night in birth exe late oh i don't i'm not familiar with that I'm yeah sorry. exactly right <laughs> it's like a like a niche like fighting game that like the biggest tournament like entry it has like evo i forgot how many they had at evo but it was like a few few hundred for sure like it was a strong representation outside of that like it peaks usually at most events like under 100 right but like we just like the game man just play the game it's fun who cares yeah, so, I... that's like the origin right it's like if we're not having fun doing this like what why who cares
0: I do think that is a problem with some other uh, esports titles is they've become so caught up in the um, the business aspect of it and trying to just get it out there that I think at times it does become a risk of it being not as fun.
1: Well, and especially with fighting games too because like we're not running off of franchise leagues or anything like that at this juncture and it's still the competitive like landscape on the publisher tours. It's all networked with grassroots-based events, right? right. And people go to grassroots events Grassroot events because they have fun playing the games, you know, right? Yeah, if you lose that part of like the identity of your community and like the culture built around that game Nothing else matters
0: It's true it, There is a real issue uh, at times with um, I don't know people just trying to make a thing work a league work. We've seen this I think a lot with some of these uh Uh super franchise leagues early on with e-league at times that felt very forced what was the fighting game? Oh, by the way, did you ever find out the stuff, this Riot stuff? Uh, with? Okay, so we never actually figured out what, what the rules were <laughs> for League players. Um, yeah, but I, there's been a couple of times where I felt like things have been forced, where they try to bring fighting games into, I guess, what you'd call, you guys would call an e, quote-unquote esports thing, and it doesn't seem like it's very organic.
1: Yeah, I mean, it has its place, too, because, I mean, at the end of the day, right, it's like we want to strive to, you know, Who doesn't want to see this thing that they love become a sustainable career path for the people that are the best at it, right? Right. Like, so there is the bit of the catch twenty two. It's like we love.
0: Be careful with that cup with the mic. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Please carry on. (laughs)
1: Um, No, it's like we let you know the organic. Like we love the organic nature of it, but we also want it to be a sustainable platform for like our cream of the crop to a certain extent. Like we want what's best for you know the people that have really taken and like elevated what our games are. You know, so it's like I think there's a realistically, it's you know the loudest voices are always the most obnoxious sometimes, right? So it's like the 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 vast majority, I think of of fighting game fans and like the FGC as a whole, like knows where those kind of events fit into the grand scheme of our community and how they're they're important. They do help provide sustainability, but I don't think anybody in their right mind necessarily thinks that that's like the end all be all future of (laughs) like that's not the end goal for that to you know our community to exclusively live in kind of pro level invitational events or even potentially franchised events so it's yeah it's not necessarily the most organic thing but it has its role has its place for us
0: i wanted to ask you this earlier but this conversation has been great by the way it's been so interesting i wanted to ask you about um what you've been doing with uh roadrunner records oh, and yeah. electro music group um can can you explain that a little bit? Sure, yeah, for sure. The sponsorships I mean, and everything.
1: This and this one, uh, this one, I guess, it comes with a little bit more backstory as well. So, like, um, I maybe I, God, I don't even remember the year anymore. Two thousand. Can you grab
0: him a beer too for sure. me, buddy? While we're doing this,
1: beer me. That'd be great. Um, only right that I'm drinking a beer, talking about metal music and. That's right, man. yeah, right. Um, <laughs> this is the
0: punk rock part of the podcast.
1: Hell yeah, um, but I. You know there was there well, still is uh, in northeast originally out of like New Jersey uh, a fighting game event oh perfect thank you crack that right into the microphone let everyone know we, yeah.
0: we really are drinking beer guys okay <laughs> <laughs> we are fucking cool um,
1: in Korea drinking same town, nonetheless yeah right? so we're drinking it's uh,
0: only Chinese beer in my refrigerator right now uh, okay. ah, cheers, cheers that
1: <laughs> um, so you know starting with. Uh, you know, East Coast throwdown was an event major event in New Jersey and I think like over the years kind of like flatlined to a certain degree in like 2016, 2017, uh, that was ran by I'm sure everyone knows who like L.I. Joe is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then his partner, Sweet Johnny Cage. Uh, and it kind of was like flatlining based off of you know a handful of factors just like their involvement in other things. Joe's kind of like integrity as like a player um, and also just like year over year. you know like we are at the end of the day a growing community and the needs and expectations of an event increases right it needs more hands uh more players or just like partners involved to kind of keep the train moving uh and it was something that i think you know is potentially going to be given up as an event it wasn't going to continue anymore and just kind of being friends with those guys supporting their events as like a player um and it just like as a general regional to as well for a while um something i wanted to make sure didn't die so uh, me and a couple other to partners um and also one of my coworkers still uh, used to go by Bacardi. No one calls him that anymore. Uh, Walter Willie P. He uh, stepped up with me, took a, joined kind of like a partnership with John and Joe to keep Coast coaster moving. Just like, okay, well let's look at how we grow this thing. How do we want to develop this as a brand? Cause it felt like you were looking at the space you had, you know, CEO, right. Became this like crazy, like a culture, like crossover between, Professional wrestling and yeah. fighting games, like right, and it was super unique and cool. You look at what Combo Breaker became, and it was almost like it was like the music festivals of fighting games, right? Yes. Um, we just had that feel. It's like everything mattered. There was dozens and dozens of games. It was spread out, but you were kind of forced to mingle with all these communities. No one was ever really like treated better than or lesser than another. So it created that unique thing. It's like okay, well, like how does East Coast Road not just be another?
0: Yeah, another random event. Yeah,
1: another just like gray event, <laughs> which, in honestly, a sea of kind of events, especially in the U.S., it's now almost like somewhat saturated to a degree. Um, and we were thinking, but it's like, okay, Joe, as like a person, very outspoken, like we all, everyone knows his love of like hardcore music. Like, hey, personally, I'm like a fan of metal, hardcore, punk, that kind of scene. Like, there's a lot of cool cultural and aesthetic, like cultural and like aesthetic components of metal sure that would make for like a cool like branding opportunity right and just like a general like event aesthetic um and also just like from just like a community sense too like you think about like all the diy aspect of like hardcore like punk and metal and stuff yeah. like that and we're like oh my god yeah, in a lot of ways
0: fgc um so much of it is is kind of punk rock compared to a lot of the other gaming things it's it's You'll have to oh, you'll have to look this up afterwards. Uh, this guy that runs uh Hotchka, he runs an event out of
1: Vienna, Austria called Viennality. It's like a very like nether realm forward event, but like his like big like tagline for his event is like FGC is punk rock because he's yeah. like a punk rock drummer and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, you know that's that's what it is. Like culturally speaking, like yeah, the fans like themselves, they might the vast majority probably don't really care about heavy music in any way, shape, or form. But like culturally speaking, I'm like, dude, there's a lot of similarities sure. <laughs> between yeah. the two. Just that like. DIY ethic, for sure. Um,
0: yeah, we're not interested in what it's going on over there. We have our own thing here.
1: Kind of, yeah. I mean, and it's very obvious, obvious that like FGC does its own thing in a lot of times. Even yeah. if it is like, still might be like esports in a way, right? It's it's our own way. Yeah. Um, but regardless, you know, we developed like this whole new like facelift for what this event was, and like thinking about like the experience, and we landed on that kind of metal aesthetic. We went through it, did our first year, and just it. You know, it certainly like gave off a little bit of that vibe from just like a digital presence, and maybe not necessarily like a physical one at that point yet, because we were just kind of like, you know, it's all bootstrapped, right? It's like <laughs> all yeah. coming out of our pockets, right? There's only so much you can do when you're playing with your own, playing with your own money as like a twenty-something year old. <laughs> not too much you can do. Um, and then for some reason, you know, Joe got put in contact. Someone reached out to him from Roadrunner as they were starting their own Twitch, just to, like come on, play like Dragon Ball and some other games for them, mess around uh so he met some of the dudes there uh and then you know i had him was like hey there might be some more here like let's Joe, like let's let's all sit down together let's like meet with these guys turns out they're jersey guys like me so we just like met up in like jersey city somewhere just like ate like sausages and like had some beers and <laughs> talked about it for a while just like showed them what we were about you know and our branding kit eerily speaking like was very similar <laughs> to theirs with uh the deep like reds and blacks and whites the typical metal aesthetic um and it just kind of like talked about it it's like hey it's like you know this is kind of like the value proposition like i think we can bring to the table um to like create a platform for your artists your music uh and your brand um and they kind of agree that like hey like this this makes sense let's let's just try it not nothing crazy monetarily in any way sense or form um just leveraging like everything from kind of like their licensing from like a music rights and IP side um, to just some of their other resources. And it just, it just felt very cohesive the first year, just like on a launch year, right. It's like being able to actually kind of like mesh their, their bands and IPs into our event feel and experience. We actually had a guy who like from one of their bands who's. He's like a fighting game player. Like he plays like Dragon Ball and Mortal Kombat stuff. He like came out and competed. It's like now like one of our like super close friends that we just like oh, hang out so with cool. so again. Yeah. Um, and just playing like you know, it just created this really unique environment where we we're actually able to like use a lot of their music within our on-site and like broadcast presentation
0: as well. Um, Quick question with that. Um, yeah, what are the rules for using music for events? I know in Korea our laws are really laxed. So like when I do GS so we can use any song. Sure. And legally not not get punished or penalized for it, but I know in different countries there's different rules. I know Germany's very strict. Uh, what what music assuming that you did not have any kind of collaboration with this group, are there any specific rules about what songs you can play?
1: Uh depending on the medium? Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Really? Okay. Um so in the context of like offline right i guess technically speaking like you could get dinged for like public performances like by using those musics within your using like licensed music at your events um but it's always like it's such a weird gray area that i feel like unless it's you know we're doing It's also, doing that it's also with...
0: quite difficult to actually go after somebody for playing a song somewhere
1: yeah it can be actually i forgot uh there's a couple different groups out there um that are like authorities and they actually do send kind of like it's usually for like bars and restaurants and stuff like sending kind of like undercover representatives to like <laughs> double check if they have like the license like the general like group licensing to like be playing at like publicly and stuff but like we're it's like dude no one's getting, no one's coming to our event yeah, anyways, yet. anyways not yet um uh because technically speaking it's like not even like the record labels can like provide that clearance for you but it's oh, like really? you get hit with a fine, it's like fifty bucks, hundred bucks, something like that. Oh Yeah, okay. it's, it's pretty minor from what we understand. Nothing crazy. Um But from you know, you're talking about digital distribution, right? Like Twitch is like, yeah, your your VODs will get muted, right? Muted, which isn't a big thing for us, but like YouTube, right? Like, and this is where we started playing around with something interesting, um, where it's Unless we did kind of look to explore and pay for licensing just to, to the individual artists, not just like the label, right? It's can't really get away with it. So it's, you know, we the way that we kind of set our dynamic up is like when we have um, our rods go up on our platform on YouTube or something like that, right? It's, you know, the bots that like an uh, entity like Water Music Group has, which is like the total parent to Electra, Roadrunner, all of that. Flags the hell out of anything (laughs) like instantaneously, (laughs) Um, but it's it's you know that's kind of like the give and take of like the value prop, right? Is like we're to a certain degree letting them copyright claim our our work using their music, so it creates like in a way additional like revenue stream for them, and like for us, it's like that's not necessarily a revenue driver for us per se at this juncture. So it's just kind of like you know us being able to legally use. Real, real, like metal artists within the confines of like our work is just something really cool. Uh,
0: what other kind of collaborations are there that maybe gaming could have? I mean, we've seen wrestling. We're just now talking about metal music. Is there other ways that different types of I don't I want to say niche interests, but they're not really niche. They're actually major nerd interest.
1: (laughs) I want to see culinary so bad, dude. Food, food.
0: I feel like people have been trying to get food into gaming for a while, but to to, to not a great success.
1: Well, because you know what I feel like it is, right? It's like everybody kind of like from like an organizational level or like a a talent level. So like from commentary talent event organizers, kind of like top level players. For whatever reason, it's like we're all very gravitated towards like food as like a cultural like aspect of... How we integrate with people in our, like our communities. And it's just such a general like passion point of ours. But you like when I talk like go to events, right? Like half the people at like any of our fighting events they go to, they're like, Oh, is there like a McDonald's nearby? Right? Like <laughs> I guess that's true. Um, There
0: there is a whole uh thing with certain groups of gamers where they just don't wanna it, well, it's just, it's you know, it's price, right? It's, like it's price, yeah. It's
1: expensive to go to an event. Like, I'm not gonna lie, it's like you're paying for a plane ticket, your hotel, like your venue fees, like any merch you're buying. Like, yeah, you're probably trying to like w- live that on a budget, right? So you right. can go to more and more events. So I get it, um, but I, it's like it's like we have this war perception, that's kind of like that like almost like inner circle, so to speak of like, yeah, this is great for, this is, This makes so much sense, but it's like just us in reality. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure like the widespread adoption is necessarily <laughs> there to like, really like be true. But I, dude, who knows? Who knows until you try it. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I never would have imagined we would see wrestling together. in sure. an event. But that's or, also the beauty of like all the yeah. grassroots
1: stuff in the fighting games is because we are grassroots and we are just like representation of our own brand. It's like, we can take risks, man. Like
0: that, that is true. Um, you know, in Korea, we had a lot of K-pop groups. We still do it from time to time. Have K-pop groups open up at Starcraft events, but I've always felt like it's kind of weird. But I'm also not into K-pop. I get asked this a lot: like, what kind of K-pop do you listen to? I don't listen. I don't. I'm not into it. I don't oh, my even... fiance loves it. Oh, really? I well, mean, yeah. she's she's
1: Korean American, so like, it, like makes sense. I'm like, I know like the majority of bands. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know that one. Like, I hear it. Yeah. I
0: I've actually that. met. I've, I've met so many K-pop stars because I'm working backstage at you know these, but I don't I <laughs> remember who they are because I don't. I don't listen to any of that. I mean, I listen to it and it's it's fine, but it, I'm not into it. You know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? But we would have um our, our venues sometimes fill up, uh, and I and I would think, great, we got this great audience, this is going to be a great show, and then the K-pop group would play two songs and they would be done, and then the audience would leave. And they're like, oh fuck, what do we just do? <laughs> well it's almost
1: like remember the it's like the first Overwatch League finals with like they had like collet do that? Oh, like, yeah. yeah 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 and that I mean the guy like, who
0: shouts his name over other songs, yeah.
1: Yeah, like don't get me wrong, like if you're like planning an that event, that's like a sensical thing. Like it's sure. I guess yeah. like, like the pieces make sense, and then just like in practicality, it's like you're just panning around and, like you see like the dead face of like an eleven year old just like, blankly staring, like, what <laughs> is happening? Um and I think like, there's always a handful of people into it, but like that's kind of the, and that's what's been really cool about working with like roadrunner and electra is like they get it it's not just like let's just put our dudes out in front of this like and see what happens it's like let's think about all the other like connective tissue points like throughout these this community that we can integrate to that's not like so forward because like let's face it like the, like the demographic base for like gaming communities or esports in general like they're so varied right like it's yeah. any other like consumer example right like there is a mix of every kind of music fan within those venues. Like I can't just force like a slipknot down like my thirteen hundred attendees throats. Right. Like it doesn't work. It's like trying to find like the nuanced ways that you can kind of like integrate them to to not be so obtrusive, but still like add to kind of like what the feel and aesthetic and like platform of our event is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a a, a lot of times when you get just gaming in general. I mean, this is why I always find the term when people talk about being gamers. I always find this kind of funny because it's like everybody plays games at this point in time. But yeah, it's hard to find just one kind of mold for that. So...
1: Yeah. Um, Oh, and actually, you know that actually, we'll see. I'm very confident that in the near future there will be some really cool kind of music-based integrations too. Like, have you seen what some of the like Twitch extensions and plugins that exist for some of like the music platforms.
0: I have not. Can you tell me about that? I don't know anything about yeah.
1: that. Well, and trust me, like still like I have a very rudimentary understanding of how this exactly works. Um, but the use case is very specific for it. So like Amazon music, right? Like it has like a two way extension for, so it's like both on a broadcaster and a user base. So you can download, or like if both the broadcaster and the viewer has the extension downloaded, right? There is a ongoing and running, amazon music based soundtrack or playlist that's running and apparently so what actually happens is the um it actually counts as like a listen per user unique user actually listening so when you're talking in the confines of like a label like roadrunner records right if there's 500 people watching with the extension on and they all have it tuned in they're actually getting kind of like their Royal, like their, whatever the royalty is probably not the right word to describe it. Right. But for like each play, it's like their piece of the pie. Oh, cool. For listening that way. Um, the problem is it's like the, the adoption for it is definitely like more so from just like the streamer at home, not necessarily for like an event case,
0: <laughs> but that idea is really interesting. Yeah. And I think it. that's evolve. a plugin. That's not Twitch doing that.
1: Uh... No, Twitch, Twitch, Twitch is doing it. Okay. It's, okay. You know, the, the Amazon umbrella. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like a clever way to tie it into like some of their other Amazon platforms. So it's like, uh, you know, just being able to have that direct feed into Amazon music. And especially because like, I don't know how many percentage of Twitch viewers are also like Amazon prime subscribers, but like for Amazon prime subscriber, you have Twitch music or not Twitch music, Jesus, Amazon music. Right. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it, it's just not necessarily communicated well, I guess. Uh, as far as kind of like how that can be implemented and adopted. It's very new too. Yeah, um, I had
0: no idea about it until you brought it up.
1: So definitely something that I want to see, like that is something that I really want to see evolve, especially for uh, our use case. We actually tried to use it this year and there's just like some weird short for East Coast Throwdown. There's some weird limitations to it as it currently stands that like if they can solve some of those issues, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> some some pretty awesome possibilities open up. For sure, especially on like how a music label gets like their ROI on like collaborations in this space.
0: Dude, that's so sick! Yeah, I, I got to check that out. I had no idea. Um, your, your girlfriend or, or wife, you have to meet with her pretty soon. Beyonce. What's uh, So see. in between the two, I was I got yeah <laughs> close yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, no, what, we're, what, we're, what time is it right
1: uh, now? Oh, I got
0: twenty.
1: Plenty of time. She's uh, she gets out it. Six. Okay, cool. Yeah, she's. she's what well, if I got booked some like super famous like Korean tattoo artist or something like okay, that? Okay, so. excellent,
0: excellent. Um, how was this podcast for you, by the way? It was good. It's cool. Yeah, easy. Awesome, man. I <laughs> want to have you back next time you're coming through Seoul again, dude.
1: I would love to, dude. It's first time coming and would love to love to come back maybe when it's a little a little warmer. <laughs> yeah, the
0: winters here are pretty brutal, man. Um. Okay, we're going to wrap this episode up, and then we're just going to go to an after show. It, yeah. It's not, not that long at all. It's just for Patreon supporters. But for sure. Thank you so much for doing this, man. No, no, absolutely, Appreciate man. Pleasure's, pleasure's also, all mine. Nice meeting you. This is the first time um, I've ever not met the person beforehand. We wanted to try this as an experiment where we just bring you in and then just jump right into it. So I hope this wasn't too overwhelming or weird or anything like that. No,
1: no not at all. And f- I'm pretty sure from like the inception of your show towards the oh, – potentially unlimited future of it i will be like the lowest imprint guest ever <laughs> i don't know about
0: that man you're doing some pretty cool shit ah who knows <laughs> so. all right sick let's go to that after show now thanks for listening everybody uh again that's the last episode we recorded in 2019 and we are getting ready to roll out with some video production here in our studio in 2020 which i'm really excited about uh, i don't know if you guys made any new year's resolutions but if you did best of luck with them My goal is to try to work out uh, three times a week. And I don't know, maybe I'll step it up from there if I get in in good enough shape. And I'm on a detox from drinking for three weeks, which is feeling amazing. Already uh, about a week into that. Um, Again, our video production is going to cost a little bit more. If you can support us on Patreon, even five bucks goes a long way. It's really appreciated. Uh, There is also an after show that plays. The only Patreon supporters can get after too. So if you want to check that out. We've given you something uh, to incentivize you to do so. So I think that's all I got to say here. Uh, Again, the next episode is going to be on video. I'll be recording that either today or tomorrow, and that'll be released in the near future. Guys, I love you. Again, thank you so much. I've been having a lot of fun doing this podcast, and I will see you again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. This podcast was produced by State, artwork by Alarice. music by Mark Lentz. Special thanks to our top Patreon supporters, Seth N., Rohit Somebody, John Kernicki, and Charlie Sheever.